I would start with what is the problem you're trying to solve? Is it an existing problem and you found a new technology to solve that problem? Or are you finding a new use case for technology that already exists? But that's the starting point is what is the problem you're trying to solve? And then how are you solving that problem uniquely? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Dr. Christine Bailey, and we're here to talk about Christine's journey at Passport, where she joined a CMO when the company was at 50 employees and hadn't yet raised their Series A. Fast forward around 12 months, and they were acquired by Moody's, and we discuss marketing's contribution to that whole journey. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Market Mentors podcast, Christine. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. Oh, gosh, a very long one. I've spent my whole career, which is, oh, gosh, 30 years now in B2B tech marketing. So I've worked for some of the biggest technology companies in the world, like Hewlett Packard and Cisco Systems. But I've also worked for much smaller companies in the CRM space, starting that in the sort of late 90s. I got into the fintech space with Valator, an Icelandic payments company, back in 2017. And Yes, been in the fintech and regtech world, so also working for much smaller companies. And now I'm back working for a very large company. Great stuff. And you've done TED Talks, you've written your own book. I see you do a lot with B2B marketing as well, don't you? So you're yeah. you're everywhere. Yeah, B2B marketing. Yep, that's me. Good stuff. So we're here to talk about creating a new category and how Passport was acquired. But before you joined the company, what stage was the business at? So when I joined, there were about 50 people and there were a lot of sort of similar sort of SaaS reg tech companies about that size in the UK. So there was nothing really stand out. You know, it was, say, 50 people. They didn't have their Series A funding yet. They'd been around since about 2016. And I joined at the point where they were really ready to scale their go-to-market. You know, the product was very stable and they were ready to scale their sales and marketing. Great stuff. And you talk about that scale then. I mean, what was your remit overall then? So my remit was really to establish a category. I wouldn't say that's why I was brought in, but that's what I said they needed to do, was to establish a really strong positioning and category for themselves within fintech with the aim then of attracting the Series A funding and growing the business. Good stuff. And I'm sure there's a million ideas when you take roles like this. And category creation can mean lots of things to different people. But why did you sort of land on the idea that category creation was the right direction for Passport then? Just to go kind of back to the beginning, the category is a term that was created by some people who wrote a book called Play Bigger. One of those was Chris Lockhead, who I've worked with in the past. And they wrote this book called Play Bigger. Now, other people have called them other things. So Peter Thiel called it monopolies. McKinsey calls them super growers. But I think if you mention a few people who are really kings of category creation, like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, then people start becoming familiar with who you mean. 
you know, some examples of companies who've created a new category would be Airbnb. So they created on-demand places to stay. Uber created on-demand transportation. Individuals as well, Elvis, he created the category of rock and roll. Birdseye created the category of frozen foods. Peter Drucker created the category of management thinking. So these people have done something that is different and they've used language that's really touched people's emotions. And just a few facts about why this really matters is, according to the Play Bigger research, 21% of Fortune 100 fastest growing companies are category creators. And they've got three times the market cap growth of fast growing companies. So that's why having a clear category is really important because you've got to dare to be different. And I'm a real fan of Simon Sinek. He has the, I don't know if you've ever seen this brilliant TED talk called Starting With Why. And he says that companies are really good at saying what they do and how they do it, but they're not good at saying why they do it. So this is part of the reason of the purpose, which you have to come to when you're creating the category. And I would add to that, that companies are also really bad at saying who they are. So if you do an exercise to define your who, what, why, how, people always default to the what and the how as opposed to the why and the who. And the why is what gives that really strong emotional connection. And the who is, you know, what category are you in? And was Passport in a particular position and to be able to do this? Or is this something that any company can do? Any company can do. And the process that I went through was to sit down with the founders and say, what's your big vision? You know, what are you trying to do? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Now, is it a problem that is an existing problem and you want to develop a new technology to address that existing problem? Or are you coming at it from the angle of you found a new use case for existing technology? So if I give you an example, Uber, the problem of trying to find a taxi when you're standing on a street corner in the rain and have no idea if there's a taxi near or how you're going to get one to come to you, that was an existing problem. But Uber developed a technology to address that problem. Now, the other way around is you might take a technology like blockchain or artificial intelligence and you find a new use case for that technology. So in this case, the founders were finding a new use case to apply existing technology to this, you know, SaaS reg tech space. But those are the sort of questions you ask is what problem are you trying to solve and how are you solving that problem uniquely? So we went through this exercise of speaking to the founders about what problem you're trying to solve, how you're solving uniquely. And then we also asked the questions of who, what, why, how, not only to the founders, but to a number of different people who were sort of pivotal in the company. We consolidated all of that and we came up with a clear articulation of the who, what, why, how. And then we created a messaging house based on that big vision, why we were different, the who, what, why, how. And then we went out and tested that on some external people and got their feedback. And then we did another round and we came up with this really differentiated who, what, why, how. And the messaging house, I've never heard that before. Just talk to me a little bit more detail about the messaging house. Well, that kind of starts at the top with what's the big vision? You know, what are you trying to solve? Hmm. 
who's the audience that you're trying to address and it kind of puts that who what why how just into sort of an overall framework and we came up with the what are the four key ways in which we are different and how are we articulating that and also articulate your different use cases and starts to look at your target audience so you try and get that all onto one page so mm. it's really simple for people to understand the other thing we did actually was fun exercise we went to our key competitors websites and we tried to pull off what we understood to be their who what why how of the competitors and let me tell you people are not good at this it's really mixed <laughs> and especially when you go to their website and then you go to their different social media channels so linkedin twitter and there's a lot of inconsistency. So not only did we pull out the who, what, why, how from the competitors, but we gave them a score of how consistent we thought they were across the different channels. And then we consolidated all of that and we created a list of these are the categories that we believed are already being used by our competitors. Here is a list of really good messaging. And here is a sin bin. Love the sin bin. The marketing <laughs> sin bin. So these are all the things that it's like, shoot me dead if I ever use these phrases in our marketing. So that was a lot of fun. And often you think, oh, we're totally unique and we're the only one that say this. I was like, no, you're not. Everybody else is saying that. So it's really important to do that exercise and create that sin bin so you don't fall into the trap of using those tired old phrases that everybody else uses. Something like solution. Yeah, solution or world-leading, world-class, innovative solutions. I should have brought up more examples, but I think everybody's sort of familiar <laughs> with those tired yeah. old phrases that people use. When you say testing it, how were you testing it? Were you testing it physically with people by talking to them? Were you testing it by, you know, putting up web pages with the message in so that people could sort of give you feedback? How are you tackling that? So initially, obviously, we tested it with the people that we'd interviewed and we mm. tested it with some externals to see what messaging landed. And again, that's a really important step. We went through a similar process when we were creating a mission and vision for Moody's Analytics for KYC. And we went and tested various mission and vision statements with external parties. And again, it's easy to get carried away with your own enthusiasm for you know, your messaging that you think is really unique. And people hopefully will give you very honest feedback in saying that, you know, that really doesn't land with me, you know, test it on a few customers mm. or people who are in your target audience, you know, like there are some phrases that people will literally vomit over. But it's a great defense to go back to people and say, look, I know you love that phrase, but it didn't land well with yeah. the audience that we're trying to reach. Is it always quite clear then? Do you find that you've got almost like a 52% one way, 48% the other way then? There's always a few surprises. So things mm. that you think, you know, that really nails it, that really lands well. Mm. Every now and again, you find a gem and we found that gem with Passport. And interestingly, it's about that emotional connection. So Everybody was talking about efficiency and effectiveness when it came to RegTech and how you could use technology to improve your efficiency. But what nobody was talking about was how that improved the customer experience. And we came up with this message of you don't have to compromise. No compromise. You don't need to choose between compliance efficiency and a fantastic customer experience. You can have both. And it's actually just as important to the people using the technology as it is to the people who are on the receiving end of it. So we said, you don't have to compromise. The compliance professionals love using the technology and the experience that we give to the person that's being onboarded to a new financial product, for example, and you're going through these checks, 
it's a much better experience from them. And we built on that, actually. We did some primary research, which proved that connection between if people have a better than expected onboarding experience, then that's going to lead to more cross-sell and upsell, more loyalty, more sort of customer lifetime value. So as I said, every now and again, you hit on a nugget and that message just really resonated with everybody. And it's so true, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the sort of fintech applications these days are delivered through things like a phone. So that verification process, people want it slick, don't they? It's how sort of consumers and businesses work these days. So it's interesting. I guess a lot of the other competitors were just focusing on the compliance route for the business rather than that further benefit, which makes total sense. It was really pivotal to Passport's mission statement, which was about we're on a mission Mm. to transform the compliance profession. Mm. So we are saying just in the way that sales and marketing have been totally transformed by technology. I mean, I can't imagine doing my job without technology. Not all 10,000 technologies that are in the MarTech landscape, but I certainly can't Mm. imagine doing my job without technology. That same transformation hadn't hit the compliance profession. Mm. Now, of course, it was really accelerated through COVID because teams suddenly were starting to work remotely and they needed to have a common portal where everybody could look at the progress of the customer onboarding. Mm. So COVID accelerated that. It also accelerated the volume of regulations. So between March 2020 and August 2020, there were already over 1,300 new pieces of regulation around compliance technology. So you just can't deal with that without technology. So it was a perfect storm. But that mission statement of transforming the compliance profession really resonated. Mm. And is it always quite seamless internally then? I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of startups that perhaps go through this process and there's a founder who's quite wedded to something. Yeah. (laughs) And it's quite difficult to get that founder away from something. Well, that's where I was really lucky with Donald, who was one of the co-founders. He was the CEO and the sort of external, the commercial brains behind Passport. And he was just amazing. We wrote a new Passport story how we will present ourselves to the world. We created a new website and he took that message out to market. So we spoke at various conferences. He was on a panel at Money 2020. He got on Sky News when we got the Series A funding and he just soaked up that new messaging and he repeated it with his Mm. own little spin on it. But he took my words, he took that out to market. And of course, when he's doing that, the employees follow his lead. And what we also did Mm. is, again, we had a fantastic people leader and an amazing onboarding program when we were hiring a lot of people. And every single person that joined Passport got the introduction to Passport story from me. Wow. They learned that story. And obviously, we were telling that story. We had a lot of sessions internally. And of course, Mm. when you've got 50 people as opposed to 50,000 people, it's a lot easier to get that message across. But yes, it was really important that the leaders of the company and the employees really bought into that messaging and used the same words. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget about that piece, actually. I mean, my sister works for Apple, and they are very, very good at this sort of stuff. So in terms of the internal messaging, the consistency, the vision, the mission, all that kind of stuff. So it's very slick. So I think a lot of people think about the category stuff just being external rather than that sort of internal piece. You touched on it a little bit in terms of, okay, you've done that sort of research piece, you've done the category messaging and all that kind of stuff. You touched a little bit on some of the stuff you did after that. So it's not just one bit and you've done. What else were you kind of doing then to make sure that that message was getting out then? Yeah, so 
once we'd created all the messaging and we did some primary research to validate that connection between having a better than expected onboarding experience and this long-term value. So we really had some facts behind the messaging of the no compromise and the efficiency and the customer experience. And we also had fantastic material then to take out to conferences. So I was keynoted at Fintech Week, for example, Donald went on a panel at Money 2020. And in parallel to that, we also launched a new website. And a very important thing that we did is we worked with a colour psychologist to make sure that the colour palette of Passport matched the words and the messaging out to market. Quick lesson on colour psychology is there are four different colour families. And the most important thing is that the colours are from the same color family. Because if you have colors in your palette that are from different color families, the brain will make a negative association with color. So for example, red, your brain will see red and the colors aren't from the same color family. It'll see danger, alert, Mm. anger. Mm. Whereas if you have colors aligned in the same palette, then you'll see the positive associations of red, which will be excitement, passion, vibrancy. So really important, you must have colors from the same color family. And so many companies make this mistake. And in the Passport logo, the two logo colors were not from the same color family. And because Passport was very digitally native, most of what they'd done was in the digital world. So the color palette, I have to confess, we renamed it Puke Green because (laughs) when we tried to bring that color palette offline, it didn't work. It didn't print well. It looked like Puke Green. It looked fine on the screen, but then you tried to print it for a stand and it just didn't work. So we hired a color psychologist, this fabulous lady, Mira Cran, and she did an exercise to help us redefine our color palette. And to be honest, that was the hardest thing to get the founders to change because they're quite wedded to the logo and to the color palette. So it was quite an exercise to get them on board with proposing new colors, which we named lightsaber green. And you know what? Everybody loved it. You know, once we got over that hurdle of the founders being a little Mm. bit not sure about us changing the logo, everybody Mm. loved lightsaber green. And when we showed a brilliant designer what that looked like on the new website, on all our collateral, on the portal itself, everybody loved it. And that really helped as well Mm. with the messaging. It really felt that we were coming into market with something that not only had really strong messaging, but it had a brand and design to match. Superb. And how did that sort of affect your go-to-market as well? And were you doing any other different types of campaigns or was it more the messaging within your existing campaigns? No. So in parallel, we were building a revenue marketing engine. An exercise that is really critical to do up front is your ICP or your ideal customer profile. So we were really specific about the target audience because nobody can afford to waste a single penny of their marketing budget. And the way to do that is to be really clear about who you're going after. You know, you've got your category. This is who you're going after. So then we looked at, well, do we have those people in our database? And if we don't, then how do we go out and acquire that? So we went out and acquired Mm. actually the FCA. Through them, we got to some people that had exactly the data that we were looking for. So we brought that into our database, into our systems. We started creating dashboards and made sure we had a connection between our marketing automation system and Salesforce that we were using in the sales process. And then we started creating fully integrated demand generation campaigns. And that was based off the primary research that we did to make this connection between the customer experience and long-term revenue growth. So that led to our first major marketing campaign called No Compromise. 
And that was a fully integrated campaign. We talked about it at conferences. We created a campaign landing site. We had blogs. We had podcasts. We had LinkedIn ads. We had PPC linked to that. It really was like a full campaign. And that started creating demand. So we went from when I joined in the sort of March, April timeframe, about 10% of the pipeline was coming from marketing. By the end of that year, it was 50% of the pipeline. So all of this was happening in parallel. Wow. And were you finding the deal sizes were going up as well and the sales cycle? You speak to a lot of companies where they sort of think about product market fit, I guess, a bit of an earlier stage, but they just start to see that the deals are coming in in volume. They're actually closing quicker. The sizes of the deals sometimes can be a bit bigger. Was it positive on all fronts? It was because the targeting was so much better. As I mentioned, you know, If you get your targeting right in the first place, then naturally the contribution to the pipeline, you're bringing in the right kind of customers. You know, they're the right use cases, they're the right size of companies. So naturally the quality improves of everything that you're doing. Hmm. What were some of the major challenges then of doing this? Well, I think you've already touched on some of them is the fact that everybody thinks, oh, well, we're roughly on the same page. No, you're not. You're not on the same words and on the same meaning. It's not enough just to be roughly on the same page. So that's the first hurdle. Hmm. And then, of course, yes, there's always a bit of resistance when you try and change something. As I said, going from puke green to lightsaber green, you know, that really was a journey to get people there. But I mean, you ask anybody now in Passport about, you know, the lightsaber green and Hmm. people are like, oh, no, because obviously when we were acquired by Moody's, we had to transition away from lightsaber green Hmm. to the Moody's blue. You know, you can't believe how attached people got to that lightsaber green that we'd literally only had for a few months so yes that's (laughs) tricky and of course you know you need to be able to hire people quickly and hire the right skills into the team in order to be able to grow Mm. fast enough so yes there's always challenges good stuff and you talked a little bit about building the revenue engine then how did your marketing team change over that time so when i joined we already had somebody who was looking after the technology and the marketing ops side of things. So that was a really strong component that we had already in the team. And then we had an absolutely brilliant content creator. We already had that piece of the team. When I joined, I brought with me somebody who's very experienced in revenue marketing. So they really knew how to build a revenue marketing engine. They came with me. I also brought across a fantastic designer and website person who I've worked with for many years, who's just really talented. So he could do all of the visual side of things. And then once we got the Series A funding in the August, then we started adding other people to the team. So an events person, a communications person, we were very UK focused. So I needed somebody with language skills who could start covering our other markets Fantastic. And you touched on some of the results, the 50% contribution from marketing into the pipeline. But at a higher level, I mean, Passport was acquired, wasn't it? So what was the kind of end result of all this work? (laughs) Yeah, well, we got noticed. I certainly Mm. can't claim credit for the acquisition from marketing alone, but we certainly made a strong contribution in getting Passport noticed in the outside world. Wow. Yeah, and there can't be many opportunities like this. I mean, if you think about the journey that you've been on in terms of the category creation, yeah. the, almost like the rebranding, the remessaging, the building the revenue engine, Series A in there, haven't we, as well, and then the acquisition. It's a lifetime's work almost, isn't it? <laughs> it was. It was a dream journey. It really was. And I was very fortunate to have very talented people in the marketing team 
and as I say, having co-founders who were just so supportive and so bought into what we were doing. Mm. And also the company was very digitally native. So that resistance to change that you sometimes get, and I count myself in the older population, but just that sort of fresh approach of being digitally native, I think made people very keen to embrace change. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, very impressive. So for anybody that's sort of listening to this and thinking, do you know what, I'm working for a company that could probably do with doing this. What's the single bit of advice you would give them to help them if they're sort of marketing a sort of me too product in a fairly saturated market? I would start with what is the problem you're trying to solve? Is it an existing problem and you found a new technology to solve that problem? Or are you finding a new use case for technology that already exists. But that's the starting point is what is the problem you're trying to solve? And then how are you solving that problem uniquely? And think about, okay, get out a sheet of paper and write down your who, what, why, how. I tell you, it sounds like a really simple thing to do. It's not. And get your top team to answer the who, what, why, how. And then once you've got that and you will see there will be differences in the who, what, why, how, First thing is getting to an agreement internally about your who, what, why, how, and then go and look at your competitors and sort of go through that exercise of, okay, well, you might think you're unique. Actually, everybody else is saying it. But it's probably better to do your own who, what, why, how first Hmm. and then go and look at your competitors rather than being influenced. You can always do your own first, Hmm. then look at your competitors and then adjust your own. I find that's an easier Hmm. way around. And would you typically do this sort of work and then go and pitch it to the senior leadership team? Or would you sort of softly sell it to start off with, go back and do a bit of research and then come back with a bit more information? I mean, we went through this exercise at Moody's for defining our mission and vision for KYC. Obviously, that was on a much bigger scale. And we started with a workshop where we talked about why it was so important to have this mission and vision and the category and to be different. And then we went through that exercise of the who, what, why, how. Great stuff. Well, very impressive. A little pivot then for our last question then. You've been in B2B marketing for a little while. What would you say makes somebody good at B2B marketing? Always be inquisitive and always experiment because you know my thing is customer insights and data. That's what I've done my doctorate on and that's what I've, you know, shameless plug for the book, Customer Insight Strategies, is think about what question you want to know the answer to and get data to help inform that answer. So to answer your question, I think the best marketers are curious ones. And they're the ones that Mm. are asking the questions that they want to know the answer to. They're getting some data to support that answer. And then they're experimenting and learning. So you're in this cycle of asking a question, getting some data to help answer that question and experimenting and learning. And obviously, if you've got some good creativity in there as well, that's what I think makes the best marketers. Fantastic. If anybody's got any questions on this category creation aspect, this sort of case study that you've talked through then, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Christine Bailey. That's probably yeah the best place to find me. And please mention this podcast if you send a connection request on LinkedIn. Sounds good. Christine, it's been fantastic. You and the team at Passport have been incredible, really. It's a fantastic journey to hear, and I hope it's going to be useful for the audience. Thank you very much for giving up your time. Thanks for having me. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.